There we go. It's fantastic, isn't it, to be here and to to hear how God has been calling, God has been leading, God has been drawing different people. I want to spend a bit of time this morning just looking into the life of Elisha. So if you've got your Bibles there, I'd love you to um, just open them up to 1 Kings chapter 19, as that's where we're going to start anyway. But as we do, I want to ask a question. Who, who here has ever received a call from God? Now, I must admit that was a trick question because we've all been called by God, haven't we? We've all been called into a life of discipleship, a life of following him. So I'm going to ask the question again. Who here has ever received a call from God? Yeah, that's right. We all have received a call from God. Um, but what does it look like in our world today to follow Jesus? For some people, it's actually incredibly costly to follow Jesus. I was reading a story the other day about a missions team who had travelled to the Middle East on a study tour to look at the challenges um, of Christians living in a, a Muslim context. And they, they found themselves one day in a living room with a new Muslim convert. He'd, he'd given his life to the Lord about three months previous. And he was telling them a little bit about his journey to faith. Um, and since that time, three months ago, his father-in-law had come and forcibly removed his pregnant wife saying, I gave the, my daughter to a Muslim, not to a Christian. And he hadn't seen his wife for three months. About the same time, his mother and his brothers came and locked him out of his own house, not letting him in. And so all he had to his name at that point in time were the clothes on his back. And at the same time, his brothers threatened to kill him, a threat which very well could still come true. He was in this room with a group of students talking about what does it cost to follow Jesus? What does the call of Jesus look like in a Muslim context? And he said to them, they've taken everything from me. What else can they possibly do? Stories like that grip us sometimes. Um, but if you're anything like me, to be honest, they, they almost convict me. Because I wonder if in the the same circumstance, whether I would be doing the same thing, having the same response. Because I love my comforts, I love my security, I love the protections that living in Australia affords me. Um, but I wonder, do I love Jesus enough? Do I love him to the extent that I'd give up everything and I'd be willing to do that? That's the challenge, I think, of Jesus' teaching in in. Luke chapter 14, when he told that rich young ruler who was asking, what, what, what do I need to do to follow you? And he said, actually, you need to give up everything. You need to give up your pride. You need to give up your prestige, your ambition, your wealth. Whatever it is that's holding you back from following me, you need to give up. So I asked the question again, what does it take for us to follow Jesus Christ in 2024? To respond to the call that he has on our life. Now, this morning, we're celebrating the induction of Lee as your senior pastor. And in this, I want us to recognize that Lee has responded to a call of Jesus Christ to follow him, but also to move into ministry. Lee, I know you've been working here at the church for a little over 11 years. And in that time, you've faced some challenges and struggles, I'm sure. Okay, um, My suspicions are there's going to be a few more to come. Would that be right, Dave? 
but we don't want to we don't want to scare him off at this point in time there's going to be those challenges and those things but the truth is following god's call has always been challenging and if we take it seriously it's going to take sacrifice it's going to take commitment it's going to take perseverance, not just for Lee and Felicity and their calling to be pastors at this church, but for every single one of us as we follow the call of Jesus Christ in the journey that he's laid down for us. And so today what I want to do is I want to look at the life of Elisha quickly to see what it looked like for him to follow the call of God on his life, to follow um, God in every aspect of his life, and then to ask the question, well, what does it look like for us to do that in 2024 let me pray before we open god's word lord we thank you for again the opportunity that we've got here to gather um, thank you for the freedom that we have to open your word to read it to understand and we pray that your spirit would be here enlivening our minds breaking down the things that would prevent us hearing your word and Lord, giving us the motivation, Lord, if need be, to do something different in our lives in response to that word. And so we'd pray, Lord, for your word to be a blessing here this morning. We'd ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn them to 1 Kings chapter 19, because this is where Elisha's story starts. And it's actually part of Elijah's story, because in 1 Kings chapter 19, we have Elijah, the greatest prophet in all of Scripture, um, because he was represented representative of the prophets even at jesus transfiguration but in one kings chapter 19 we find him in a pit of despair if you know the story elijah has just been on mount carmel doing battle doing battle with the with king ahab and queen jezebel and with 460 or 450 prophets of baal and 400 prophets of asherah um, and there was the ultimate showdown that was going down on Mount Carmel between God and the false gods. Who can send down fire from heaven and consume a sacrifice? That would show they're the true God. And you probably know the story. And if you don't, I encourage you to go home and to read this incredible story of faith and God moving in incredible ways. But the prophets of Baal and Asherah go first. Praying, trying to call down um, the power of their God to consume this sacrifice. Um, and they fail, fail miserably in the task. Not even a whiff of smoke comes off their sacrifice. Then it's Elijah's turn and he prays. But before he does that, he, he, he drowns the whole sacrifice in the altar and the wood um, with water. So that it's just soaking wet, just to make it a little bit more challenging for God. As if that would do that. And then Elijah prays and God sends down this fire from heaven and it, we read that it consumes the meat, the wood, the stones on which it was all placed. And Elijah subsequently orders the death of all the prophets of Baal and all the prophets of Asherah. The magnificent victory though quickly turns into fear and despair as Queen Jezebel puts a bounty on Elijah's head. And Elijah flees, thinking that he's all alone, that he's the last one standing for God. But God, in his graciousness, meets Elijah in that despair and tells him to go and anoint a successor, Elisha. So let's read a little bit from Elisha, or 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19. So this is what we read. We see, 
So Elijah went from there and he found Elisha, son of Shephat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Even at this point, we find something out about Elisha because we find he's from a rich family. 12 pairs of oxen was pretty significant. This was a fairly big deal, big operation in those days. And, and Elisha was, we think, about 20 years of age at this point in time. So he's old enough to be out there in the fields helping with the family business, the family, family farming interests, plowing with a yoke of oxen himself. And so we read this, Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. And he said, and, he said, and then I'll come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? <laughs> Elijah's actions here in throwing his cloak around Elisha conveys a very powerful message without words. The cloak symbolizes Elijah's prophetic calling from God to an office. Very similar to, I don't know whether you watched the coronation of King Charles and at one point they put this big robe on him symbolizing that he is now called to an office of the monarch. Well, this coat that Elijah was wearing symbolized a similar thing. And in placing that coat on Elijah's um, or Elisha's back, he was symbolizing that God was in fact calling Elisha to become his prophet. Now, it's interesting to know here that Elisha asked to go and bid farewell to his family and his friends. And I love the response of Elijah here. It almost has the sense of, oh, look, do what you like. <laughs> I don't care. It's not me that's calling you, it's God. <laughs> and it was God. So we read on the next slide. So Elisha left him, went back. He took his ox or yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate and then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. What a response. Elisha went back, took his oxen, slaughtered them. Not a word of complaint or protest from his family, mind you. And he burnt the plough and all the equipment to make a sacrifice. The description here suggests that it's, it's a communion fellowship sacrifice or a communion sacrifice um, where a person would offer a sacrifice to God in thanksgiving for a blessing and then share the meat out with the family and friends to have a bit of a feast in response to that. So that's what is being described here. Now I think the challenge point for us here is that Elisha in accepting this call actually burnt some bridges. He burnt some bridges to the past. If the prophetic gig didn't work out, he couldn't go back to plough the field because he just killed the oxen and burnt the ploughing equipment that he was using. What was he going to do? Well, he couldn't do anything other than follow the call that God had placed on his life. See, when God calls us, no matter who we are, he calls us to our future. We don't know where that path is going to lead in the future, but that's where faith comes in. We've got faith that God knows the future. We've got faith that God is able to provide for us, sustain us in the good times and the bad times. 
We have faith that God will actually walk with us, that God will uphold us even in the times of despair or difficulty. And when God calls us to follow, and when we step out in faith, when we keep our eyes looking forwards, we don't need the ox. We don't need the plough in the past. See, calling requires a sacrifice. Now, as Lee takes on this mantle of being a senior pastor, we should have had a cloak here this morning, shouldn't we, and put it on him. Um, As Lee takes on this mantle, he's stepping out to follow God, the call of God. And I believe God's challenge to you, Lee, is, is to burn the bridges to the past in a figurative way. Okay, in a figurative way. Um, I know you've actually done that in the past as you sort of stepped away from your urban development career, as you've stepped away from um, chaplaincy and, and working in Woolies. I'm, I'm, I don't want you to go and burn a Woolies store down. Okay? Um, but, you know, in a figurative way, you need to be burning and cutting those ties. And I know that you've already done that. But for each of us, as God calls us to follow him... My question is, what's holding us back truly from throwing ourselves into that task? What's preventing us? I'm reminded of Jesus' teaching in in Luke chapter 9 where he says that anyone um, who looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. And I think in those words he's actually challenging us to do a similar thing here. To say, when we're called to follow God we need to cut the ties to our past. We need to identify the things that are going to be holding us back, preventing us from wholeheartedly following God, and we need to step out. And that means sometimes we have to give up our, our dreams, our hopes, our ambitions about what our future could look like because now we're actually embracing God's story, his plans, his purposes for our life, and all that he has in store for us. So the first thing I want us to note today is that following God actually requires sacrifice. Now I want us to jump forward a little bit. We think it's about 23 years. We don't have much information about what happens in these intervening periods, but it seems as though Elisha is is a bit of an apprentice to Elijah, in similar ways to what Lee has been for Dave in the last 12 years. Now when you get... Um, To 2 Kings chapter 2, we see another story that I want to read a little bit to you. So if you you jump in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 2, let me read from um, the first verse there. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. Take note of these places as they're listed. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I, I know, Elisha replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha. Stay here. Um, the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. 
The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? You're getting a bit of a pattern here? Yes, I know, he replied, but do not speak of it. And then Elijah said to him, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. We'll just hold it there. We'll come back and read the rest a bit later. Now, Elijah is about to be taken up to heaven, and we know again a miraculous um, event where Elijah didn't die but was just actually taken to heaven um, in this flaming chariot. Um, And he starts journeying to that place where he's going to meet this chariot. And as he does, he goes on a bit of a history trip. Starts off at Gilgal. Now Gilgal was the first place when the people of Israel crossed over the Jordan River into the promised land and that's where they celebrated the Passover for the first time since they'd actually done it back in Egypt. Forty years they hadn't celebrated this Passover feast and they celebrated it there and they renewed their covenant. So this was a place of new beginnings and of promise. They'd reached the promised land. But then they go to Bethel. Now Bethel was the place where Jacob had wrestled with God as he was planning on meeting up with his brother Esau and he didn't know what the future was going to hold and he was all anxious and worried about that, he wrestled. And so here is a place of challenge on the one hand where where Jacob had to wrestle with his past, his sin, his failings and wrestled with God around that. But it was also a place of vision because God actually changed his name there and gave him a vision for the future. Then they went to Jericho. Jericho was the place where they had the first victory as a nation in the promised land. Remember walking around the city and the the walls falling down? An incredible victory but also miraculous provision that God was going to go before them and be everything they needed. What a memory that was. And then they came to the Jordan. Now in Israelite thought, the Jordan River is symbolic of death. Um, the, the last hurdle crossing over to the promised land, it was the last obstacle. Marks the separation between the wilderness and the promised land. And, and to go to that promised land, you needed to go through the Jordan. It's a place of hope where there's a journey, but there's also faith being tested. Because if you remember the story, both of um, um, when Joshua led them there, but also now that the Jordan was in flood. They had to step into the water or touch the water and and it parted and they were able to walk through. So this was a place where people had to realise the hope for the future but it was also a place of God's testing of their faith. And this is where baptism comes in because Jesus, remember, was actually baptised in the Jordan too. He actually had a bit of a picture of the Christian life starting off with a, a place of of new beginnings, of calling and promise. But then you walk through life and there's challenges and there's victories. There's times that you actually um, have visions of what God is doing and revelations, but you also have miracles that you witness that build your faith. 
And ultimately, we'll all face a Jordan when we actually have to cross over from this life to the next life. And I wonder what Elisha was thinking as he was going on this journey. And I think it's notable that at each point, Elijah says to him, hey, stay here. Don't keep coming. You don't need to. <laughs> You're going to have to walk all the way back by yourself anyways. So you might as well just stay here and save the journey. And Elisha says, no, I'm coming with you every step of the way. See, Elisha had learned one thing. If he was committed to go on the journey, he was going to go on the journey. He was committed to walking that journey. And the journey might go through places of challenge. It might go through places where you don't know how God is going to show up. But as we walk the journey of life, we have revelations. We see God's miraculous provisions for us. If we aren't willing to commit to the journey, we miss out on all of those things. Elisha, despite the urging from Elijah, was committed to walking to the end. Even when all the other prophets they came across, remember they came across prophets in every town, they all urged him to sort of just stay and, and what's the use? <laughs> He's leaving. All of those prophets missed out on what Elisha experienced because they stayed and didn't walk. Let's keep reading from verse 9. When they'd crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You've asked for a difficult thing, Elisha, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them apart. He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Israel? Or Elijah, he asked. And when he struck the water... It divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. Some of us might be thinking here today that it was a fairly arrogant request. I want double the power. I want double the influence. I want double everything you had, Elijah. I want double the portion. But that actually wasn't the request. What's actually in mind here is is the tradition that the eldest son, the one who would take on the the farm or the the work of the father, actually got a double portion of the inheritance. So Elisha's actually willingly requesting, I want to take on your continued ministry of being a prophet of our God. That was difficult because it wasn't Elijah's choice. It was God's choice, but... God in his own sovereign plans had already determined that was what Elisha was going to be. And so Elisha assumes the mantle, takes the cloak, and it's interesting to see that as he goes back to the Jordan, he has the same power. See, the call of God takes commitment to walk the journey through the challenges, through the victories. We've said only Elisha had that commitment. Many other prophets they met along the way didn't. Only Elisha was committed to seeing that journey through, even though some would say it's a waste of time. But if Elisha didn't go on that journey, what was he missing? Lee, again, as I've said, your, your, 
your call, your ministry as a senior pastor is going to take commitment. In it, we know you're going to be seeing victories. We're going to see miraculous signs from God. Um, but you're also going to have times of challenge, times of difficulty, times where you're going to need to receive vision from God. And I want to encourage you to stay committed like Elisha was. You don't know what the point is that God's going to actually release to you more power, more influence, more insight, uh, more blessing. Sometimes he's just going to ask you to just keep walking the journey knowing and wondering where this is going to lead. But that's the challenge. Now before we close, I want to jump to one other account in Elisha's journey. I want to jump another 50-odd years to the events of 2 Kings chapter 13. Now Elisha is, we think, about 95 years old, which is pretty good for people in that age. The king of Israel was a guy called Jehoash. He was not a good king. He worshipped other gods. And there came a time when the Arameans were in control and they were, were pressing at Israel. And the Israelite king, knowing that this great man of God was 95 and he was failing at this time, decides to visit him. Despite his evil, Jehoash makes a wise decision to actually seek God's intervention, to seek God's blessing on them. And God in his grace actually responds. So Elisha... On his bed or in his weakness, asks for a bow and arrow and he gives it to Jehoash and he says, fire an arrow towards the east, towards Aram. And in doing so, that action, he declares that God is going to intervene and bring victory for the Israelites. But then his next command or his next request of the king is a bit strange. If you've got your, your Bibles there, 2 Kings chapter 13. Let me read it to you from verse eight, 18. Sorry. Verse 18. It says, Then he said, Take the arrows, the ones that were left in the quiver. And the king took them, and Elisha told him, Strike the ground. And he struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck the ground five or six times, and then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it, but now you will defeat it only three times. And then Elisha died and was buried. Now this might seem a really strange thing and a bit of a harsh statement here because Elisha just instructed the king to strike the ground. What would you do if, if someone told you with a stick, strike the ground? How many times would you strike it? But the response of the king here was seen to indicate a level of faith and obedience. He struck the, the ground three times and stopped. Now in stopping, Elisha gives us another clue to one of the other keys that God is looking for in our response to his call. And that's perseverance. When God commands us to do something, he wants us to show perseverance to keep going until he tells us to stop. In our world today, perseverance can sometimes be a rare commodity. When things get tough, people want to throw in the towel, don't they? They want to walk away. And to be honest, pastors are, are, are no different to this. We've got a lot of vacant roles around our state at this point in time because it's a tough job. 
And who wants to go out west or out into rural or remote places where maybe I have to work part-time and be a pastor? So there's challenges there and many people, when it's tough or when it asks a lot for you, they say, no, I'm just not willing to actually give that much. But when God calls us, he calls us to sacrifice, he calls us to commit and he calls us to persevere when things get difficult. Lee, again, as you're being called to the lead pastor role in this church, you are going to have to lead through challenging times through difficult seasons, through dry seasons, through times of conflict. Um, there will be times when there's victories and miraculous provisions and wonderful revelation, but there will also be the tough times when you are going to be tempted to throw in the towel. But that's when God's call takes perseverance, to keep striking the arrows on the ground until God says, Stop until he releases you from the task and says, now I want you to be doing something else. But that goes for all of us in all manner of things. If you want to be more Christ-like, it's going to take perseverance. If you're going to want your prayers answered, sometimes it's going to take perseverance. If you're going to defeat a sin in your life, it's going to take perseverance. Sometimes what you're doing won't necessarily make sense. I'm sure Jehoash didn't know why he was being asked to hit the ground with some arrows. Seems like a crazy thing to do. And sometimes you're going to be acting in obedience and you're not going to see much impact or change. You're going to do an action and do an action and do an action and you're thinking, well, what benefit is this? But sometimes we're asked, just like Joash, to trust and obey to keep doing. Today I believe the mantle is being transferred from Dave to Lee. And that part of God's call on Lee's life is going to require sacrifice, commitment and perseverance. But today I believe that for all of us gathered here that God's call on our lives is going to require the same thing. Sacrifice. To be prepared to walk away from the past and into God's marvellous future. What's God's, what is God calling you to? What's, what's holding you back from following him fully? What are you fearing? Where is your faith failing you? And are you prepared to leave things behind that he clearly has told you to shift from and even to set them on fire or cut the ties? What about commitment? The journey of God is going to require commitment from every single one of us to go through the challenge, to go through the victories, the revelations, the miracles. In all of that, God is looking for people, men, women and children, to walk with him. And as you do, there will be blessings. There will be God appearing, anointing you, empowering you for the task that he has for you. But you need to be committed if you're going to receive that. And then there's perseverance. Even when the journey is tough, it doesn't make sense. God's going to require perseverance. When he gives you an instruction, cling to it. Keep doing it. Give it your all until he tells you to stop and do something else. What's God's call on your life? Remember my first question, who's got a call? We all have. Well, follow it. Step out in faith. 
Be prepared to sacrifice. Be prepared to commit. Be prepared to persevere. Because that's what God is calling us to do. And in that, we will see him work amazingly. We will see him provide for you perfectly. And you will see him glorified and his kingdom expanded. Let me pray, Lord. We thank you for, again, this word, this life of your servant, Elisha. Lord, we recognize in this that, Lord, it wasn't all easy. It wasn't all um, a, a situation where, Lord, there was just good things in Elisha's life. It was challenging and tough. But, Lord, we thank you for, again, what you have taught us in this. And we would just pray that you would continue to lead and guide and encourage us in the calling that you've had on our lives. And we would pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think Can we just give David a hand for sharing with us this morning? And it's, a, it's a tough call, isn't it? A call to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. If you think about those three words, they're, they're very much the, the three words that might define the walk of Christ towards the cross. And so I think it's a great reminder for each of us this morning as we walk with Jesus. There, there are amazing blessings and spiritual realities and things that are all part of following Jesus, but there is a cost. There is, uh, there is sacrifice. There is perseverance. There is commitment. And um, I just want to honour Pastor Dave this morning as well, uh, just as he steps down from the senior role. I think he's been a great role model for those three words over the decades that I've observed his leadership and ministry. And I know the sacrifice has been very real for him at times and for Leanne and for Ben and Katie and Tyler who are all here this morning as well as a family unit. But yeah, I just want to honour Dave and say thank you for uh, just your commitment and your perseverance and um, your obedience to the Lord, even in the tough times. And I know just through our discussions over the years that uh, you've, you've been true to the Lord and seeking him and going, Lord... When do you want me to step down? When do you want, do you want me to keep going? You know, as the seasons have changed and, and now's the right time. And so, yeah, just grateful for, for you and your leadership and your, your modelling of that over the years. And so, yeah, let's give Pastor Dave a hand as well. For... Now, Pastor Dave will be heading off for a few months with, with Leanne. I'll have a bit of, bit of nice quiet time for a little bit and, and Dave will be back around the place in a few months time and uh, he'll be around in the office this week if you really want to come in and nail him down and have a chat to him about something but if you have any problems come to me now that's my job so that'll be good fun and um, yeah let me just quickly pray and we'll, we'll finish with a song of worship uh, here this morning. Father we're just grateful for who you are Lord we're grateful for uh, the models that we have in our life Lord in in the, in the leaders and the spiritual fathers and mothers around us, Lord, uh, but more so in Christ as well. Uh, we thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, uh, to live a perfect life and die in our place, Lord, but for us to also look up to, to see as the model for our own life, uh, for us to look to as the, the dream. And so, Lord, would you help each of us to become more like Jesus? Help us to live lives that are faithful to you. Lord, That we, we just want to accept that sacrifice, Lord. We want to uh, in your strength, commit to you, and in your strength, persevere with you as the seasons change. And Lord, yeah, as a church, Lord, we're just excited for what you're doing amongst us. 
uh, but we know that it will probably cost a little bit to some of us. Um, and so, we, yeah, we trust you, Lord. We know that you are good, that your heart for us is good. You've got great things in store for us. So, Lord, help us to follow you well as we go there together. In Jesus' name, amen.